<laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Thanks for coming out to our third uh, out of five in our series on becoming a contagious Christian. And uh, today we're looking at uh, our third session, obviously, on competence, um, knowing the message well enough to share it. And um, as we've been saying throughout the course, uh, we've been borrowing a lot from uh, Bill Hybels and Mark Middleberg in their book, Becoming a Contagious Christian. And uh, we've also been borrowing from uh, a book by Rico Tice called Honest Evangelism. And for this one, I'm also going to borrow a lot of stuff from a book I mentioned last week. And Riley smashed it last week, didn't he? He did such a good job. Um, but this book by Jeff Vanderstel. And um, there's some, particularly in the area of sharing the gospel, there's some uh, more uh, studies and PDF things about some of this topic of sharing the gospel. Um, that you can have available to you. If you go to uh, Saturate, I think it's called saturatetheworld.com, um, you can find heaps of discipleship resources and things, or I can sort of send you a PDF. Um, well, why don't I pray for us, and um, then uh, we'll make a start. Lord, we just want to thank you so much uh, for, again, another privileged Sunday that we can come together as your, bo- uh, your bride, your body, as your local church, having had our eyes open up to the truth of your gospel, and that we can come together and learn about you and what you're like and learn about being on your mission, Lord. And I just pray for all of us. All of us long to be faithful in the area of mission, faithful to share the gospel. And um, it's something that we all find just so hard. And so I just pray that you would give us courage and you would help equip us in this moment um, that we can really honor you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I just wanted you to just, you know, you might want to close your eyes or something um, and just kind of imagine with me. Imagine you're sitting at your desk when a colleague wanders over to start a conversation. Now, they're slightly more senior than you are in the business or uh, workplace. And you guys, you have the occasional kind of spiritual conversation. And the reason is, is that they're a committed Muslim. And if you're honest, their strong faith and their seniority makes you feel a little bit intimidated by them. Now, they're leaning on your desk and they ask you the question, how do you actually become a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What do you say? Um, Now, you can open your eyes. Who here would feel a little bit nervous about having that kind of conversation, a little bit uncomfortable, I I would. I mean, who would feel confident in that moment that they could clearly articulate the gospel? Um, But that's real life, isn't it? And really, uh, what we want to look at today is this topic of being competent. And really, the main idea that we're going to be dealing with is that the contagious Christian um, is competent. And what I mean by competent is that they know the message well enough to share. That's the first bit. And secondly, is that they also know something about um, how to start spiritual conversations. Um, There's a skill element. I think it was great um, what Riley shared last week. And in fact, what I wanted to do to begin is to really go over that passage again and remind us afresh of what our part is. Our part isn't opening up blind eyes. Our part isn't converting people. Our part is simply uh, sharing the message of Christ. 
Um, if you have your Bibles there, why don't you open to 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6. I'm actually going to be preaching on this uh, next week. Um, let's just remind ourselves what our part is. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6. Uh, Paul says the following. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Here's the important bit. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I love that verse 5. For what we preach isn't ourselves. We're not in the business of preaching to people how good we are, how how uh, apt we are at sharing the gospel. We're, we're, we're just preaching Christ. We're telling people about Jesus. We're, we're telling people the truth about Jesus and what it means to follow him. And God is in the business of opening up blind eyes. We preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. Um, but in order to preach Christ, we do need to know the message well enough to share it. We do need to know and understand what is the message and, um, and that's my first point that we're going to look at today is knowing the message well enough to share it. Okay, what I want you to do to start is turn to the person next to you and ask them, ask them the question, what is the gospel? And, um, <laughs> and uh, we'll come back and talk about it. CJ's got all the answers. She's got it. Okay. All right. How are we all doing? Um. Who wants to be my guinea pig and, and share with us what the what the gospel what the gospel is? Who um, kind of reached some sort of conclusion? CJ. Well, we know you've got it sorted. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Christianity. Right. Um, that the gospel is the good news that even though by mankind sinning, mankind has been created, but we sinned against that creator which put a curse on us and the world. And the gospel is the good news that um, our creator sent his only son to die in our place, take the punishment that we deserve, and so that he could forgive us and adopt us into his family and restore our relationship with his creator. Great. Good. Good. Anyone have anything else? Any things that they would add to that or leave out of that? Or, I mean, it's interesting exercise, isn't it? Because we often talk about, you know, we believe in the gospel. But it's a good question to think about. What makes the gospel? What are the important points? What are the bits that you need to have in that if you take them out, they're not, it's no longer the gospel? Um, it's, it's a good question to think about. Um, something else um, is that that knowing what components uh, are present is only one part of it. Um, the other skill involved, and I guess what I'm trying to say is knowing the gospel well enough to share, is actually a skill that requires practice. And the skill isn't just um, knowing the essential components of the gospel, it's knowing someone's situation well enough to know which components they especially need to hear. It's knowing where, where that story intersects with their story. And, um, and um, so there's a few different components, isn't there? You need to know what are the essential components of the gospel. Um, what do I need to share with people in order to actually be sharing with them the gospel? And secondly, we need to know what components of this message are presenting an obstacle to a certain person and how do I how do I share it in such a way to help them with their obstacles to the gospel. Now obviously the, the, the finished work is with Christ, opening blind eyes, but there is an element of skill to it. One of the things that Jeff Vanderstel says um, he had a course this week called Gospel Fluency. And um, one of the things that he shares that I think is really insightful is um, he asked the question, is it possible that the reason why we find talking about the gospel so difficult is because we're out of practice? We're not used to talking about it with ourselves or between ourselves and with others. And so is part of it that we've lost fluency in the gospel? We're just so unfamiliar with actually sharing the content of the gospel with one another that, of course, when we then go to share it with an unbeliever, it's very difficult. We're just quite simply not used to it. We're out of practice. Um, gospel fluency. He's got some other great stuff to um, share. Another important thing to know when we think about the content of the gospel, uh, what are the points of the gospel where we're tempted to distort or dilute the word of God? Um, I've been looking at this passage and um, it says in uh, chapter 4, verse 2 of uh, 2 Corinthians 4, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. That word to tamper is a word that uh, would commonly be used of a wine merchant who would uh, cunningly dilute their product. And so the image there is of tampering with, diluting the message to make it more palatable to those who hear it. 
And so it's not only that we know need to know the essential components of the gospel, we need to understand the components of the gospel that we are in sharing prone to dilute. And uh, who can think of a couple of examples of where we might want to leave out an aspect of the gospel because it's not very palatable to, to people? Charlotte? Um, the love of God and their sin. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the big ones. That there is a just God who... Uh, promises to justly punish people for the wrongs they've committed more than that to eternally punish them um, that is something that is very uncomfortable to our our modern audience now interestingly that's just our culture um, I was listening to a, a message by Tim Keller and um, we people in the West have a big problem with that he was talking to a Chinese uh, PhD student at university who said, no, I don't have a problem with eternal punishment of people for doing wrong. I think that's fair enough. If God is God, he's an independent being, he's our maker and creator, of course he can punish us. My problem with the message of the gospel is that it's so individualistic for you. Because what you're saying to me is that if I put my trust in Christ, I would be eternally separated from my family and my ancestors. And for me... To be eternally separated from my ancestors, I cannot accept it. Um, so you see, every culture has its own objections to the gospel. We need to understand what ours are. Um, and in our culture, wrath and punishment is an objection. Now, there's different ways you can go about learning the gospel. And I'd recommend to you learning a gospel outline. And I'm going to briefly talk about three really common ones. You can look them up for yourselves. Um, you can have easy access to them. I grew up with um, a, a method called evangelism explosion. Sounds a bit 90s, doesn't it? But, um, <laughs> and um, it kind of, it came out of the US, it kind of assumes kind of a Christian worldview as well. That's one of the challenges with it. So it goes grace, because grace is thumbs up, right? Sin, right? <laughs> God, because he's the biggest finger, right? Christ, because it's like the wedding ring, Right? And then faith, because it only takes a little bit of faith. And then the handshake, commitment. <laughs> and so we'd learn this outline, and then we'd go and, you know, you try to get... And the bad thing is, because, like, you, didn't, cause you couldn't remember all the bits individually, right? So you had to start at the beginning of your spiel, and you wanted to get the whole thing out. So I'd find, like I said, I'd monologue for, like, half an hour. <laughs> and you, they wouldn't be able to get a word in, because, you know... Um, and you start off with two questions, and the, the two questions are, um, have you come to a place in your thinking where you'd be sure that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven and be with God? And then if you were to, the sec- that's the first question. And the second question is, if you died and then you came to the gates of heaven, you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And, um, and then you base off those questions. So you kind of, it's more geared towards like a nominal Christian and something like that. It could be helpful. And then there's a whole bunch of Bible verses that you go through. So grace, you know, eternal life is a free gift. It's not and or deserved. And, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You know, for it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, and so no one can boast. And then you go sin. You know, uh, Romans 3, 23. For all of sin, fallen short of the glory of God. And then Matthew 5, 48. It says, you know, um, therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the point is, even one sin... And then you've made a mess, you know, you've fallen short of God's standard. God, um, God is a loving Father and doesn't want to punish us. At the same time, he's a just God and he must punish us for the wrong that we've done. Christ, you know, um, 
talks about how the eternal word became flesh and this is eternal life that they might know God, um, how he lived a perfect life and then how he paid the punishment for our sin on the cross, Isaiah 53, 6. Faith, you know, repent and believe and you'll be saved about what faith is and what it's not. It's not like a blind leap in the dark, but it's about coming to trust in the message and, and giving your life over to, to, to really trusting God. Um, and then commitment, you know, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and how it requires a response. So this is an example of kind of an outline that people have. Now, can anyone think of any problems with that kind of outline? And I kind of already alluded to a few of them. Um, Can you want to think of anything that might be a challenge, Chris? Yeah, it's definitely a very Christian worldview. So if you encounter somebody who's an atheist who doesn't have a belief in the sense that there is a God, right? Creator, and there is no destination like heaven and hell, right? then that becomes, well, mildly problematic. Yeah, no, absolutely. You could manipulate the first question and just go, you know what, so what's your thinking in terms of if, if you die tonight or you got smacked by a bus, where do, where do you go? Do you go anywhere? What do you say? Absolutely, yeah. It can kind of feel, it kind of, it kind of, uh, e, kind of, e, evangelism explosion, kind of assumes kind of a Christian worldview. Um so, which is really handy and a good thing to have in your arsenal if you're speaking to someone who's nominally a Christian, because uh, it is a really clear explanation of the gospel. But it kind of assumes a few things, like you believe in a God who created the world and everything in it, um, and um, you believe that God kind of deals with you, you know, based on being a good person or something like that. Um, you believe in an afterlife. You believe in heaven and hell. That's kind of what it kind of assumes, and it's been a really effective thing for me. I mean, um, one of the things that's great about E is just gives you a bit of a clarity of some of the simple things you need to explain to someone about the gospel. So it's a good one. It's out there um, if you're interested. So that's one. Another one, if you grew up in Sydney, particularly as an Anglican, uh, you might be more familiar with is the two ways to live. And um, it's called two ways to live because it kind of ends with this idea there's two ways to live, our way um, or God's way. Um, and they use a, a, a Bible verse, I believe it's from, yep, it's John 3.36, and that's whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God will remain on him. And so the points of the two ways to live is, uh, firstly, that God is the loving ruler of the world, that he made the world and made us rulers of the world underneath him, Okay, which is kind of an important starting point in the conversation for someone who's not got a Christian background or might not believe in that. And then they've got Bible passages that go through each of these points. So the Bible passage that matches that first point, that God's the loving ruler, is Revelation 4.11 that says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The second point is that God is not only the loving ruler of the world and made the world and made us rulers underneath him, but that we reject the ruler of uh, the ruler that is God by trying to run our life and our way without Him. Um, but we fail to rule ourselves or society or the world. And the Bible verse that they have uh, for that is Romans three ten to twelve, which says, "As it is written, none is righteous, no one, no one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside; together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one." So that's the second point. God made the world, made everything in it, made us rulers underneath him. We reject the ruler by trying to run our life our own way. That's the second point. But the third point is God won't let us rebel forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. 
And the passage that they have to go with that is Hebrews 9.27, which says, And just as it's appointed for one for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So the point is God has destined for people to be punished for the wrong of turning against him. The fourth point is, though, that because of his love, God sends his son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus always lived under God's rule. Yet by dying in our place, he took our punishment and brought our forgiveness. And the passage is 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he must bring us to God. The fifth point is God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler of the world. And Jesus has conquered death, now gives new life and will return to judge. And the passage they have that goes with that is 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's 1 Peter 3, 1-3. And then we end with our final point. So therefore, in response to that, there's two ways to live. We can live our way, or we can live God's new way. And that's the decision that you need to make in order to become a Christian. Um, it's really helpful. It's really clear. Um, and it comes with pictures. <laughs> which is key. Um, now, I just think it's, it's handy. And one of, the, one of the good things with all these resources is you can get online. Uh, there's even a, a Two Ways to Live app you can download if you, if you want to talk through with someone about it. You can go to Kurong and you can buy these little booklets. They cost 80 cents. Um, you know, if, if you wanted to be prepared to share with someone the message of the gospel, um, uh, this is a really handy thing to have. And um, you, you don't have to, you know, know it wrote although it's good for your own soul to know it wrote and have those Bible verses. But you can actually just have a handout where you can you know, learn it and be comfortable with it and then share it with someone. Now, um, that's another approach that I think is really handy. Um, what I want to talk about today um, is a third approach um, that has uh, come up by Jeff Vanderstelp um, that I think is also really, really helpful. Um, and um, it basically comes out of a whole bunch of research about what we call functional being functionally illiterate, which is a big problem in our culture. So there's some statistics coming out of the US that say even for college grads, so people that have finished a degree at university, 42% of people that finish a degree in the US will never, ever read a book again in their life. Uh, I think it's 50%. I think it's 50% of school leaders will never read a book again in their life. There's a, a huge uh, problem or change in the way we interact with information, and it's called functional illiteracy. So, someone who's functionally illiterate, uh, they they can read and access information through, you know, Twitter, Instagram. They can read and access information through uh, television, through the radio. They're the main ways that they gather information. But they don't actually sit down and the main way in, in, in which they access information is not to sit down and read texts. Um, they, do, they don't do that. They take little sound bites here and there and that's how they um, gather and form their views about the world and things. Um, and so increasingly, in response to that, one of the things that Jeff says is a really important way to, to reach people that don't read in our culture is through storytelling. And it's something they're actually using global missions with uh, unreached people groups and things. 
Um, but what he's saying is if people aren't reading and we're not a reading culture anymore, um, how do we use storytelling to present to people in a compelling way the message of the gospel? How do we tell stories where uh, the, the story of scripture intersects with the story of our lives and other people's lives? And um, I think his stuff is really excellent and it's really, really helpful um, as another tool up your sleeve to help you communicate the gospel. Um, and so what he says is everyone, whether you're Christian or not, has your own story about who you are and how you got to where you are, your worldview, a story that you know tells the story of your life and, and everything. And everyone's story falls into four categories. Okay, Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now you might hear that and think, oh, that's really Christian. Okay, um, So one more time, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Okay. But actually, everyone does it. Um, And here's where it intersects. Everyone has a fundamental belief about their origin, about creation. Who or what gave them their existence, made them, uh, made them who they are, and shaped them into the people they are today. And the key question to ask someone to get to the root of their story is to just ask them the question, who or what do you credit for who you are? If you ask someone that question, what you're getting at is what their creation story is. What do they believe? Now, in terms of what scripture teaches about creation, um, we believe as Christians in the story um, that we come to understand that God is eternal and is the creator of all things. And since God is the creator, he's the one who gives meaning and purpose to all that exists and is the one for whom all exists. We aren't self-made men or women. And we don't determine our own meaning or purpose. God made us and determines the purpose for our lives. He has the authority to hold us accountable to the purposes for which he created us. That's the Christian message of creation, that God is the eternal one who made us. And that's the point at which the Christian creation story intersects with another creation story. And that gives you an opportunity to really dialogue with someone about what they understand um, about creation and their creation story. Fall. Everyone has their own fall story. Um, there's a fundamental reason why people and community uh, believe that the community and the world is broken. Each person has a fundamental belief about the cause of brokenness and has a, des- a deep desire for justice in the form of righteous judgment. Um, people blame their parents. They blame family. They blame their friends. They blame their bosses. They blame the government. They blame all sorts of things. Uh, for what they've become. And they want justice by putting the blame on someone else for the pain and brokenness in the world. Everyone has kind of a four guy mentality. Something that they hold as responsible and accountable um, for the fall, the, the brokenness they experience in the world. Someone is to blame and someone deserves to be punished. And the key question here is, why are things and people not the way they're supposed to be? And who is to blame for it? Um, And I hope what you see is that as you kind of help people to think about their own story, um, the point is that the Christian gospel has a very compelling answer to these problems and points in the story that that we see in the world. And so what we're trying to do is help people to think about their own story so that we can bring the story of God and find some point of intersection where that story meets their story. Um, So, obviously, what we believe about the fall is, well, 
this is how we come to understand why all that has been made is no longer in the status that God created it to be. We believe humanity and all of creation is broken and need of restoration because of humanity's rebellion against God. We believe that we're the cause, um, which started with Adam and Eve in the garden and has continued to the present. We all deserve judgment and death because of our sinful rebellion. We are presently experiencing the consequences of our rebellion all, all around us in the world and in our lives. And ultimately, we all stand before God as judge for our rebellion. Our false story, the, uh, a person's false story, intersecting with the Bible's false story. Um, thirdly, um, not only re- uh, fall, but redemption. Everyone has a solution they believe in. A kind of remedy they look to, or a saviour they believe in, to redeem the brokenness in their life in the world. Many are looking to a philosophy. Others look to a plan for self-improvement or personal growth. Many believe some kind of reform in education or politics will change things. Everyone believes in a redeemer or in a self-improvement plan of sorts. And the question here is, who or what will rescue me and redeem what is broken? Um, and of course, as Christians, we believe in a redemption story ourselves, don't we? We, we believe that we deserve to be punished by God, that things are broken because of us, but we believe that God sends his only son to come into the world, to live the life we couldn't, not only to model it for us, but to die on the cross and bear the penalty that we deserve, not only to stay dead, but rose again, conquering death, um, coming again to rule and, and reign. Redemption. And lastly... Restoration. Um, Every person has a picture of the future when everything is as it should be. Some see a utopia with humans all living at peace with one another. Others believe Mother Earth and humanity will be one. Still others see another world they will go to where they will be at the centre. Some people's future hope is to be married, have children, get a job, be rich, etc., Everyone wants something better, restoration of what they believe their world should be like. And the key question here is, what will the the world or your world look like when all is as it should be, and who or what will be the focus of this world? Um, A story of restoration. But meeting with, obviously, Scripture's view of restoration, which is something different, and that is that... The plan of God doesn't end with only a people redeemed for God and forgiven by God, but with a new heaven and new earth where sin, death, and destruction is all removed and where peace and love define how we relate to one another and God. Jesus will return to bring about full restoration and will ultimately be at the center of it all. All honor and praise and glory will belong to him while we wait in hopeful anticipation for him to return to complete his final work. He calls us to participate with him in bringing about healing and restoration as a foretaste of this future. Wherever people are living in submission to Jesus and his ways, serving and sharing the gospel with others while empowered by his Holy Spirit, restoration is being experienced. Our lives of gospel service are like a movie trailer of what is to come when the kingdom is fully consummated. God's story, other people's story. So I've been reading and reflecting a lot about that this week, and I just, I'm just i really keen to learn more about and grow on the skill of doing that kind of gospel storytelling. Uh, but I hope that's helpful to, to hear and to think about how people have their own stories and where that story meets with the gospel story. The point is there's many ways and many things that are helpful for us to learn to develop the skill of sharing the gospel. Um, well, we've got a little bit of time left. 
And um, there's so much I wanted to talk about. I'm not even sure I'm going to get to the second half of things. Um, uh, one last thing on the point of uh, sharing the gospel is that I do think it's actually really helpful to learn you, to retell your own story. Um, and uh, most people can tell their own story probably in a good 15 to 20 minutes. Um, but what I'm talking about is learning to tell your story in about two minutes. Uh, what I was going to do is going to sit down and give us practice to just go and share. Two minutes is all you've got to tell your story of coming to Christ. Um, and the reason why I think that's really important because, one, you're not always going to have 20, 30 minutes to, to, to share your story with someone. But two, to bring clarity to you about what are the actual key components of sharing with someone your story. What are the things that are really essential and crucial that someone would hear? And so in time, as you get more confident with what those key components are, you can kind of fluff them out a little bit more and um, you know add a bit of color. Um, but that's a really good thing. Okay, so not just uh, learning the message well enough to share, but also I just wanted to briefly message, uh, message raise this idea of learning to start spiritual conversations. Um, now, this is something that um, we've talked about previously. Uh, we did a thing called um, Gospel Conversations like a couple of years ago and um, where we talked about this. And um, the point is that starting spiritual conversations, it's not always something that kind of randomly happens. God is always the one who opens up the opportunity, but there's also a bit of a skill involved that you can easily learn. Um, and what's involved in that? Uh, well, the first thing is actually obviously praying and asking God to bring opportunities to have gospel conversations. I'm thinking of one recently where we were really wondering about Rudy and Iggy, how would we bring up, you know, doing the last couple of units of Christianity Explored, and so we were praying about that. And literally then we had them over for dinner, and they raised it. They said, hey, could we, I just want to say, we'd really like to finish off what we started about going through the gospel. Could we do that? You know, God answers prayers, and so I think one of the best things you can do is pray about it. I remember when I was working at St. Vincent's, just praying, God, give me a gospel opportunity to talk to someone about Christ. And my, one of the girls I was walking with just started asking me, you know, like, Brendan, do you ever think about stuff beyond this? And I'm like, hmm, yes, I do. <laughs> do you know, like, a direct answer to prayer. Um, being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that nagging feeling sometimes that you need to talk to someone. Um, I remember sitting on the train after hearing a message about, you know, not listening to your iPod, but talking to people. I was listening to my iPod. And then I just said hi to this guy sitting on the train. He turned into a really great friend of mine, Deepak. Um, we had all these spiritual conversations with him. Um, a second thing in skill of studying spiritual conversations is actually just genuinely becoming interested in people. Um, getting to know people. Asking them about what they believe. Asking them even the question, what's your church background? Have you ever been, you know, I go to church. Have you ever been to church before? Asking them what they believe about what they do. Um, looking for just opportunities to ask them about spiritual things. You know, do they have a Easter tradition or a Christmas tradition? Um, and not being worried if people are resistant. If people are resistant, that's fine. That's that's not my bit. My bit is just to, to genuinely look for an opportunity to share Christ. Um, how you receive it is is not my responsibility. Hi, TG. Um, thirdly, and I think probably the, the biggest aspect about this is being authentic about your spiritual life. Um, I think we can really fall into the trap of speaking in different ways to different people. To Christians, we genuinely share our struggles, maybe sometimes. 
um, to unbelievers, we put on a face of being struggle-free. But have you thought about uh, what that actually communicates to people about what being a Christian is all about? Like, if people aren't aware of what your struggles are, genuinely, they can begin to believe that somehow being a Christian is all about having things all together. Somehow the message is about being a really good person and living a struggle-free life. You know, I think it's really important, one of the most, the best things we can do is just to let people into what our genuine struggles are, but where the gospel makes a difference. Um, you know, um, we can kind of almost seem dishonest or false to people we're trying to reach out to. You know, they, if we're putting on a show or a front, people see through it. They're not stupid. Um, they see that that's not real life. Um, Will Metzger in his book, Tell the Truth, and uh, I might uh, kind of finish here. He says, Many committed Christians flounder in personal evangelism because sharing religious ideas in conversation seems unnatural or forced. In many cases, this problem exists because of compartmentalization in their thinking. A thought world divided into compartments labeled gospel, art, marriage, and so on. The contents of any one of these compartments is only superficial related to the contents of another. As a result, the gospel seems an intruder into conversation instead of being an integral part of a dynamic, ongoing dialogue that encompasses the whole life. The solution to the problem is to eliminate the walls dividing the compartments and to relate religious ideas to ideas about art and marriage and other areas of everyday conversation. In other words, the solution is to find a unified, comprehensive thought life. Now, that seems all a bit complicated, but what it's trying to say is, like, the gospel and, and, and your life, it's all one. Every area of your life relates to your understanding of God and the world, and, and we need to lead people into that. An example of um, where I've had the opportunity to kind of um, do this is, I remember when Mel was in prison, you know, for most of you know, Mel was like three months in prison in Russia, which kind of sounds crazy, but um, I remember telling my friends at work about it, and they were thinking like, I felt like I was telling a lie, <laughs> you know, it just seems so crazy, like, am I losing my mind? Like, um, And um, one of my friends was sitting, you know, signing into the computer at work, he said to me, oh, how are you going? And I just said to him, look, to be honest, you know, um, I've been really struggling trusting God with Mel being in prison. Um, but then I was just reading uh, uh, about Jesus paying the punishment for my death, you know, in um, my quiet times this morning, and because um, I, I genuinely was. And the thing that had struck me that morning was how Jesus kind of um, just stepped in to take my place. And um, I was saying I was just really struck because I just imagined Mel standing before a court, facing seven years in prison for what she's done. And I imagine the judge stepping down from the bench and saying, I'll take it in your place. And I just imagine in that moment thinking about how, how thankful I'd feel if that happened, but that would be un- unspeakable, and how this had given me this just new appreciation for what Jesus had done for me. So what I'm doing is I'm just letting someone into just what my genuine struggle is in trusting God in the midst of things of my life and what I'm going through. And I think um, part of sharing spiritual conversations. All right. Time's up. Um, if you need to go, it's 43 past nine. So if you need to run, feel free to run. Uh, if you want to stay and ask questions, feel free. We've got another couple of minutes. Why don't I pray for us first, and then I'll send you out, and you can turn to the person next to you and say, 
what's something you learned, what's a question you might have. Okay? Why not pray? Thank you, Lord, so much for the power of your gospel. Thank you so much, Lord, that what we preach is not ourselves, but it's Christ. Well, that is such a comfort to me because myself has many, many faults and failings. And we just thank you that the confidence and the power is not in us. Lord, we want to be faithful to preach Christ, that you might open eyes. And so we just pray, give us boldness. Give us skills where we need to have skills. Help us learn the message, Lord, well enough to share. Help us to lead spiritual conversations, Lord, that we might be faithful to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys, for coming.